So, it's good to be back uh, in Shido. We had a crazy session last time, man. It was mental. I laughed too much, Qasa. And um, I can't let it go in my mind, some of the things that I saw that last week. And I realized that absolution can only come once I release a, a graphic. There are people who are confused why... A lot of people were confused why I kept calling Sheikh Yasser Qadi Ming the Merciless. So that needs absolution. I think maybe, maybe tomorrow I will release my explanation on the world. So the other, the important news, of course, the uh, the announcement, mashallah, that was was meant to kind of happen today, but then in the end uh, we decided to. Uh, Launched the news via Facebook on Facebook and Twitter uh, on uh, yesterday, Tuesday, was that um, Alhamdulillah, the last testament, the CD that we, uh, the play, the play that we uh, recorded, that we designed, we wrote, we designed, and we produced and then executed in this masjid to that audience of Muslims, non Muslims. So that, Alhamdulillah, that which was very successful. I think we printed upwards of five, ten, fifteen thousand in total. Um, five thousand were ours and then ten thousand in the other one? Yeah. Then ten for one reason or whatever, yeah? yeah. yeah. So we printed fifteen thousand and uh, all together and they're all gone. Um, and mashallah was very, very popular. It's very good. And that was because we had some excellent narrating by uh, Brother Abid Mahmoud, and we had, uh, mashallah, alaykum and uh, we had also the qira'a of Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar, and Sheikh Muhammad Ali, and Sheikh Abu Omar. So we have these three top qurra' and they're reciting the verses. And it's basically, if you don't know already, then you can go to the Prophetic Guidance website <clears throat> and you will see it at the top there. But basically, it's a story, the story, it's the story of the Qur'an through the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it's, it's very good. I, it comes, uh, I highly recommend it for both your own listening and then especially to allow non-Muslims also to uh, have a listen. It's very good for them as well. So please feel free to download a copy of that. I think it's like 99 pence. Is it 99 pence? £1.29. £1.29. We just literally put it at a nominal price just to spread it out there. And it's uh, on iTunes and it's on the Android uh, network as well or whatever. Um, And the links are both there on the website. So inshallah, uh, go down there and spread that uh, as well. Okay folks, so let's uh, start inshallah from where we left off. Actually, we left off um, at a place where already I've seen a question or two that were a little bit confused concerning the statement uh, when I said that the uh, the statement, the furud, 
which is the obligations of wudu, are six. And then I said that these obligations here refer to the what? Anyone remember what, what we said that they were, other than listing them? We said that they were arkan, isn't it? We said that they were pillars. And then some people said that, well, um, we, we understand arkan and obligations to be separate aspects. Uh, the arkan are the essentials and then the obligations are something which are the uh, wajibat or the fard which is a, 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 a level less and then we have the sunan and the classic example is the prayer in the prayer we have arkan such as reciting fatiha such as uh, standing qiyam such as going for ruku'ah yeah, such as going for sajda these are the arkan of the prayer um, and then we have then the wajibat or the furud, uh, the obligations. And again, the words are synonymous. Both words are the same. For, for, the fara'id, the furud, and the wajibat, both the same. And what is that? How is that different to the arkan? We, uh, when you study fiqh of salah, and so those furud are, for example, to say Allah Akbar when you're going to the ruku'ah, to say Samiyallahu ibn Hamida when you come up from ruku'ah. To say Subhan Rabbi Al Adim, to say Subhan Rabbi Al A'la, the first Shahwad Al Tahiyatulillah, these are a few of the obligations that you can call them fard of the prayer, the fraud of the prayer, or the wajib, wajibat of the prayer. So it's actually a significantly different level of action to the arkan. And so some people were, were rightfully saying, well, how comes uh, here you're saying the fraud are the are the arkan when in other actions they are two separate classes of two separate categories. Of, of action that's a good question and Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen he says that in this chapter of wudu we don't have a variation in the two uh, classes so here the furud are arkan and the arkan and the other furud and he goes unlike and so therefore we know that the scholars may Allah have mercy upon them sometimes قد يُنَوِّعُونَ الْعِبَارَاتِ sometimes they they, you know, they change their, they, they use different uh, categories. Uh, and they sometimes make the furud arkan, and sometimes they make the arkan furud. And this is like a flexible, this is not, remember the Prophet ﷺ, just so that you know, never ever did the Prophet ﷺ ever, or his companions ever said, when you make wudu, then these are the furud, these are the arkan, these are the shurud, uh, these are the wajibat. They understood all the actions just straight off the bat. So when they saw the action being done, they were able to clock on and know that that's an essential thing. And this one I can leave out if I'm feeling, you know, if I'm t- late or I'm tired or whatever. And this one's nice to do, but you know what? I'm not going to do it too much in case people understand it's something very important. They treated their dean like that. It was very, very kind of, you know, on, you know, on the fly and very easy going. They had a very deep understanding. These categories, classes, explanations and types, uh, uh, type 1, type 2, this, that, blah, 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 tables, memorizing, 6 of them, 10 of them, 8 obligations, 7 sunan. This had to come afterwards when the people started to lose touch with the core and the, with the pure kind of uh, understanding. They needed it easier, you know, easily kind of laid out. And so this text is a classic example of that. You know, not only... Uh, well, uh, uh, Imam al-Hajjawi, alayhi rahmatullah, not only when he divide these different things into categories, going to say these are obligations and these are sunan and these are like that, but he also even say there are six, you know, like that. 
and then tell you the six as well. It's a really, really kind of basic kind of presentation of the fiqh. And that's, that, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as we don't start to then take the categories as something uh, 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 like wahi, like revelation. That, you know, the word is something which is Quranic. You can't uh, change the phrase. You can't change the wording. Of course you can. These are the words of the fuqaha. In fact, if you want me to say, I'll throw away the words of arkan and furud straight away. I'll, I'll make my own category. I'll say the most important things in the wudu. And that's absolutely fine. Because the, uh, the, the intention is for me to make you understand what the key aspects are. Not for me to make you learn that the word is arkan or ruklan or wajibat or furud or whatever. These are phrases which help the madhahib try to get a theory across or an idea across. Very important to remember that from the beginning. And this is linked into another very important principle which I often, which I often focus on in the fiqh classes. And I think probably we'll have mentioned here as well uh, in LP. And that is... That not only the names of categories and the types of categories, but also numbers. When a scholar says that the obligations are six, six is another man's five, and another scholar's seven. Okay? Because ultimately it's me looking at something and seeing them as six, whereas another man will say, well, you know what it is to be honest, one or two could be separated. So let's make it seven. All right? Or, or, or sorry, one could be uh, put into two categories. 1A and 1B. So let's just make it 1, 2, and then we'll just increase the categories to 7. So that's another thing, to never get too caught up on numbers. Okay, that's very, very important. When someone says there's six obligations, six obligations, and there are only six obligations, another guy comes across and says there's four obligations, it's possible, number one, that his four obligations are the same as your six, but just bunched up. It's also, it's also uh, quite possible that he understands the issue differently and he doesn't consider the two of your obligations to be obligations. Rather, he consider, considers those two to be sunan. Likewise, another, uh, another point of note when you come to study fiqh and deen, this is now more a deeny issue, is when the scholars try to explain a point to the lay, to the lay people. It's like when you see the, the Jum'ah Khutbah. Nowadays, there's a big push upon the Jum'ah Khutbah to be more than a khatib, but to be a speaker. Not to be a khatib, that's because people, to be honest, if you want me to be honest, uh, people have become very, very overly critical when it comes to uh, many aspects of our deen. One of the things that I find very strange is this approach to the Jum'ah Khutbah. The Jum'ah Khutbah is very highly criticized if it's not mentioning affairs of the Muslims around the world, if it's not mentioning politics and not mentioning this, not mentioning that, and talking about societal problems and blah, 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 blah. And I want you to know that the Jum'ah Khutbah is not some kind of soapbox. And the Jum'ah Khutbah is not some kind of political party broadcast either. The Jum'ah Khutbah is not to tell the people what they know quicker than the, 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 the Khatib knows. The Khatib might be preparing his, his Jum'ah Khutbah the night before. The Musalli who's coming in and he's already hearing on the radio the latest updates and the news on, the, on his phone. And he's getting text messages. He's more knowledgeable than the, 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 the Khatib. The khatib is not someone to say that there's a war in Syria and you should make dua for the people. We know that any Muslim is under any kind of stress needs dua and we know the, the movements of the war and so on and so forth. Yani that's not the function of the Jum'ah Khutbah. The Jum'ah Khutbah can be used to, uh, in our country, in the non-Muslim lands, I get it. Okay, In the non-Muslim lands where Muslims are not getting a regular kind of understanding of religion, then you might want to mention one or two things as an announcement. These things can be used as an announcement after the Salah, uh, after the, the, the after the khutbah is finished, for example, that there's going to be one or two announcements. If you don't mind, 
or even at the end of one of the parts of the khutbah, one or two parts. Because the khutbah itself has one function, one function alone, and that is to remind the people. To remind the people of Allah and His Messenger. It's meant to soften people's hearts. It's an idea that a person has gone a whole week. That's why every hadith upon the upon the the, the uh, each hadith which talks about the importance of the Jum'ah khutbah is always focusing very very uh, strictly upon the one who misses it. Yani that the one who, uh, and and talking about what happens the heart the heart will become blocked. It's very interesting. That one who misses is one, is disaster, two, disaster. The third time, khalas, the heart becomes blocked. So the idea is that it's meant to be softening hearts. The idea, especially in this country, so now, you know, if people are going to start saying, no, we don't understand, it's a non-Muslim country and we need to inform people, okay, then let's play that game then. Let's use this country. Especially then in this country, most Muslims don't even set foot into a mosque except on a Friday. They don't even know what a masjid is except on a Friday at lunchtime. And in fact, they don't even know that masjid actually. It's not even their local masjid most of the time. It's whatever is convenient to them from their workplace. So it's just a place for me to go and do my obligation. At that moment, the khatib's responsibility is to remind them who their Lord is, to remind them what the messenger told them, to remind them about what Allah has said to them. And that's why if you, if you understood this, if you understood, really, if you truly understood yani the fuqaha, Yani how they understand this deen. The Prophet ﷺ said, it is a sign of a person's knowledge. Check this. It's a sign of a person's knowledge in what he does with the Jum'ah khutbah and the prayer. The one who shortens the khutbah and increases the prayer is the one who understands. The one who elongates the khutbah, speaks for an hour, kills everyone there, sends everyone to sleep. And then he stands up and says, Asr and Qulul Ahad and out the door. Name, recitation, name, da 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 da, quick, quick, bang, 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 bang. It's a disaster. And it's the other way around. It's a five, ten minute reminder. Bang, get out there, say, this is what Allah says, this is Jannah, this is what we're aiming for, this is the fire, this is what we need to protect yourself for, wake up, and then get into the qira'ah. You would recite munafiqoon, recite al-qaf, recite al-ghashia, al-a'la, slowly, beautifully, nicely, soften the people's hearts. Remind them, and that's where the people realize, wow, you know what? It's been a week I haven't heard this kind of stuff, man. People feel softened, they feel... Well, I, I wish I read Quran more. Well, I wish I read Salah more. I wish that I was closer to the masjid. That's the function of the khutbah. Not to be a political lesson or whatever, whatnot. And I, we understand the theory. We understand that they'll say, okay, yes, we also get it. We do want to give lessons like this now where we teach them the deen. But they don't come. Look how many people come to a gathering of knowledge and we've got such masses. But that's not separate. That's not <coughs> sacrificed. That's, a, that's, that's, that's not a, a logical argument. That just because of the issue of numbers, we will sacrifice the, 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 the full lot, the, the masses, because we are unable to make our dawah uh, entertaining enough, or we're not able to make it important enough or interesting enough to get them. So you know what? We're going to teach them their religion in a khutbah. It's not a teaching lesson. It's not a teaching lesson. We don't know of the Prophet ﷺ teaching the people in this manner. And when, everything, when, when anything is narrated in this manner, it's narrated in a minority fashion. So... Um, the reason, the, the point I was making is that the Jummah Khutbah has now become like they're trying to refine it so much, so much so that they, they want to apply uh, speaker tactics to it. You know, that person should speak like this and, and maybe consider PowerPoints and consider this and, and, uh, it, and uh, the person should have a very structured uh, form and he should um, whatever. 
I'm saying that anything which conf- uh, 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 affirms the sunnah, that's great. Anything which is just trying to be stylish and modern, then, you know, no thanks. So you often see, for example, that, 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 that the khatib will say, there are six points I want to go through in this khutbah, or there are ten points I want to go through in this khutbah, and he writes them all down, and then at the very end, then he then will repeat in an abbreviated form those ten points in a, in a, in a thirty-second summary, which is a clever speaking tool of, we know, that to give the people something to take away. You know, a call to action. Standard principles that speakers are told to use. I'm saying that some of these people then turn those ten points and three points and say to the, 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 the person listening, don't you ever forget these three points. These three points are the most important three points that you will take away in your life. And this is, this is, the, three, this is the four types of heart that you've learned in this khutbah. The heart can go into four kind of states. And, uh, and, there are, and uh, my brothers and sisters, this was about taqwa. Don't forget, there are three levels of taqwa. You take that away from me or whatever. And so this is just a speaking tool. One man's three types of taqwa is another person's ten, ten types of taqwa. And one person's explanation of four types of heart is another person's ten types of heart. So uh, what's important for the user? The user, you know, he doesn't understand anything, let him do what he wants. But for the student of knowledge, what is important to understand is never to take the human defined parameters or values of three types of this, six types of that, as anything other than just that speaker's way of organizing. Just like this speaker's way of organizing. If you have that kind of critical attitude to your, your sharia, your fiqh, you'll go far. You'll have a deep understanding of the system. You'll be able to develop your own. You'll be able to be not so restricted by other people's statements. So I hope that that's a, that's a, that's a useful uh, primer to understanding the principles of categorization and numbering, and so on. So, Shaykh al-Uthameen, he goes that sometimes we use fard, sometimes we do arkan, sometimes they're interchangeable. He goes, here in this case, do you know why we know that the furud here are, are, are arkan? Why that is? Because an-nahan al-furud, okay, because when we look at these obligations that have been mentioned, you can see them talking about the essence of the wudu, mahiyyat al-wudu. They're talking about the essence of the wudu. Every single statement and action which describes the essence of something, the essence of an act of worship, then it is a rukan, it is a pillar. Any single action or statement which describes the essence of an act of ibadah, it by its very nature, by its very nature, is a rukan. It's a pillar of that action. So that's uh, that's that's good. So that's what arkan normally are. Now, if we see that the fard is describing the essence of the act, then we can say, ah, you know what? The obligation, the fard here is the arkan. Same thing. Okay, so that's good. All right. So, um, Sheikh says, uh, and I mentioned that the word wudu. It has a linguistic, uh, 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 the word wudu in its linguistic sense comes from wada'a, which is brilliance and glowing and radiant, okay? And it also refers to cleanliness and beauty. These are the kind of words you're combining to get the uh, uh, meaning, to get the understanding of what wudu actually means. Wada'a, meaning this dazzling brightness, and nadhafa, nadhafa means cleanliness and purity, and al-husn, meaning uh, radiance and beauty and, and so on. You're combining all of that. As for shar'an, meaning, uh, 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 meaning uh, technically speaking, in a sharia, what is wudu? At-ta'abudillahi azza wa jal, 
بغسل الأعضاء الأربعة على صفة مخصوصة. You will find that of course in the notes, inshallah, in Arabic and in English. Basically, the translation of uh, it is the worship of Allah Almighty and Exalted, Mighty and Exalted, the worship of Allah Mighty and Exalted by washing the four limbs in a specified manner. Okay? It is the worship of Allah Mighty and Exalted by the washing of the four limbs in a specified manner. Okay? In a specified manner. And that's of course a legal statement. It requires to try and as cover in as many short words as possible as wide a aspect uh, that covers everything. Uh, Sheikh Uthameen starts straight away. He goes, you know what? What if someone says, actually this is not correct? Because when you said that by washing of the four limbs, we know that the head is not washed. The head is wiped. So it's not washed, it's wiped. So Shaykh al Uthameen, he says, he says that, uh, that th- these kind of statements are not always 100% exactly going to detail each part. So as long as we, do, he goes, a taghrib meaning, meaning that well, as long as we, je- we, we, we are able to describe most of it in some kind of manner, that's, that's, that's fine. So he goes, of course, the head is not washed, but most of the limbs are washed. And so we apply the fact that because we're washing most of the limbs, we'll use the word washing in the definition. And he goes, this is something which is permissible, that's no problem. That's another example, by the way. Sheikh Uthaymin's definition is very different to other scholars' definition. But that's fine, because everyone's defining something in a very specific way. Some people don't care about trying to get it out as a Twitter kind of update, right? We're reducing it for stylish reasons to 140 characters. Some people just want to go out there and write what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a page, we'll define it as a page. So there are different kind of ways to to describe it. Um, Okay then. So Sheikh then says, all right, so our author, he starts off by saying, the furud... Uh, okay, that the obligations are six. And first of all, when we say six, how do we know? This is based upon tatabur. This word is very important. Tatabur means al uh, means by uh, uh, deep analysis and deriving. That's what that's what tatabur means by following the evidences, looking at them, and counting them, and <coughs> analyzing them, and then coming to that conclusion that yes, there's six. There's no wah. When he says by tatabu, it wasn't that Allah revealed and said that there are six. This is the, this is uh, the, uh, the reason why he why he uh, mentions uh, 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 this point. And I I really liked what Sheikh um, Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti he said. He said that you know uh, this is something which is very uh, common. Um, and it goes back now to the way that the teachers teach. And actually, this is a common technique. It's the same technique we talked about just a minute ago, about how the speaker summarizes what he's going to be speaking about, and then he goes and then he then describes it. So he gives the first, he gives a very broad picture, very broad, a very broad picture right at the beginning, and then goes into the detail. He goes, the scholars often call this al-ijmal qabl al-bayan wa tafsil. He goes basically giving the full story, in a in a nut in a in a in a nutshell in a snap kind of snap kind of way and then going into a, a, a detailed uh, explanation 
Uh, so basically, the obligations are six. Okay, you got that? Six. You ready? All right, here we go. One, two. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? This is what he's saying. He goes, what's interesting, he goes, is this is the way of the Quran. He goes, this is the way of the Quran. He goes, when you look at the, uh, the way that some of the scholars do this, they are following only what Allah has done in the Quran. But for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Haqqa, Mal-Haqqa, Wama Adraka, Mal-Haqqa. This huge, yani Al-Haqqa, this calamity, this disaster, what, uh, the, again, this disaster, and what's going to make you know is the disaster. And then, and then, and then uh, again, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will now explain it in detail. Al-Qari'a, Mal-Qari'a, wa ma adraka Mal-Qari'a. And then that day, that this will happen, and then that will happen, and so on and so forth. So this is a style where the subject is, pre- is presented in its entirety, and then the detail then is explained afterwards. So he goes, this is one of the very, uh, uh, this is one of the ways of language, this is the way of... It's, it's something which also brings the attention of the listener as well. Okay, so the first one is the washing of the face. The washing of the face. Now the word ghasl, uh, okay, ghaslul waj, the washing. Remember, there's a difference. We haven't come to that section yet between ghasala means to wash. Ghasl is wash. Ghusl is with the dhamma, you know, pesh, yeah, ghusl. That ghusl is the, what's that? That's a bath, exactly. It's the complete wash, yes? Whereas ghusl actually means just the process of washing. Now, um, Sheikh Uthameen says, is that it's very important straight away that by the author specifying the word ghusl that we're not talking about now wiping. And so our focus is very, very much on actual uh, wiping. Therefore, if someone was to get their hand, wet their hand, okay, and then shake the water off, wet hand now, and then go and then wipe his face with it like this, then this would not be washing the face. Or he was to wipe his hand, or wet his hand, and then wipe his arm, okay, then this would not be this would not uh, 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 fulfill the obligation. Because to fulfill the obligation is It is the pouring of water of something and the water running along it. So there has to be actual running water on that surface. Water has to actually move. It doesn't matter if that water moves itself or whether it moves via your hand's action. But there has to be running water moving across it. It's not your skin which is the... The 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 uh, the uh, what's whatever that is the make the thing making the contact it is the water itself the water has to physically wash it so it is quite fine after the water has been poured then to use your hand in a wiping surface but then the the, the, the that's part and parcel of the washing when you for example get water if you had on one hand and you put it over your face and it's pouring now and now you wash it that's still washing but if you were to just get a hand and just go like that, that would be unacceptable. So there has to, it's not just wet hands and then go like that. It's hands, water, and then even if it's a small amount, it's released and then we and then we allow it to now run and then you're doing your washing uh, process. Okay? And and Sheikh, uh, uh, and 
they, they basically said linguistically it has, has always it has always meant water which is moving and running so he goes that uh, Sheikh says that the ghasl is not achieved unless the water actually touches the skin the water touches the skin and, and actually runs along it okay actually runs along it and this is basically the difference between the uh, uh, wetting via a wipe okay and washing because if you were to do this what you would do is you would just wet the skin but it's not running along the actual it's not running i'm not actually i'm not sure was this you being incredibly generous or is that you want me to try and show you everyone how to do ghusl <laughs> i don't know yeah trying to get me back here and it was the car and warehouses in this middle of the Was that if I use you as an example, maybe? No? No? <laughs> you know when a man closes his eyes, please don't do this to me, please. Bobby J's not here either. You use Bobby J. Malaysian skin. Yeah, have you noticed Malaysian skin? No hair, nowhere, anywhere. Water will run off it very nice. Should we use you as an example? No? Okay. Don't laugh next time. Don't make me late next time, okay? I don't get mad. I get even, huh? Sheikh, what these famous words? Epic fail of words. I'll beat him like about 10-3 or something. Anyway, so, um, okay, good. So that's the, that's the import of the word al-ghasl, meaning the washing. So the water has to actually physically have some kind of moving, uh, a movement or whatever on the skin. The second point is to focus on the word wajh. We already spoke about that in detail before. The word wajh means facing. So everything which is facing is, conser- is considered the wajh. So, um, the uh, the actual definition of the uh, the actual parameters of the face will be of the top of the forehead until the bottom of the beard. Okay, until the bottom of the beard. If you have a uh, a beard. Actually, I think here he means the jawbone. Actually, I beg your pardon, not the beard. Um, the jawbone. So from the head, from the top of the head until the until the jaw until the jawbones. Okay, meaning like that. Okay, that part. Whatever that is, jawbone, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. So that part because underneath, then it goes to whatever is underneath. The neck is the top of the. What's it called when the neck? The bottom border of the mandible. Like <laughs> again, You need you need a good couple of glory moments. Yalla, go on. Come on, jawbone. Why can you keep it in in simple language that we all understand? Mandible, submandible, bypass mandible. Three quarter, three quarter. Yani self infused mandible. So the mandible comes from behind the ear here, runs round the corner. This. Yeah, you'll see the angle of it there. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then round the corner, that's the bottom. That's the bone? Yeah, that's the below border. The below border of the mandible? Yeah, all the way around. So it's not the mandible then. Anything which is underneath is not the issue. That's why they said the liha. A liha is the, is the jawbone. The word lihya is called beard uh, in Arabic because it's what grows on the jawbone. So where's, the, where's, the, where's the point? Is it here or is it here? It's everything which is facing. So yeah, so it's the bottom border of the mandible facing. 
Look at here. Oh, you see that black? It's the bottom border of the mandible facing. <laughs> Have you seen that curve? You know what? That's why you can't be a doctor. Then they stay black every every second. Okay. So anyway, I think you get the point. From the top of the head until the from the top of the forehead, beg your pardon, until the the jawbone. Okay, and that means including the jawbone. And then from ear to ear, okay, from widthwise ardan min al udhan ila al udhan, meaning from ear to ear. So this would be all included, okay. So like this, this whole part, okay. And if you have the beard, then we've already covered that. Yes, for the beard, you have to also comb it through, and it needs to be wetted, and the bottoms and the bottoms of the beard, because that is what's facing. Yes, we talked about that. And uh, he goes... And he goes, some people said that um, the top of the uh, 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 forehead is, is otherwise called the hairline. The hairline, right? The hairline. Um, and he goes that... And that's the, according, to normal, according to the normal vernacular, it's called the hairline. Um... It's prejudice to bull people, I think, isn't it? That's why. That's what. Yeah. For some people, could be all the way back here, isn't it? Maybe. We don't talk about you, Shaz, on the phone. I don't think it's fair to do that, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? It's good. It's good. It's good. He wants to. He wants to talk about next sales and things like that. Did you go, Shaz, this year or what? No, I was with you. I begged the guy. Around. He was begging me to go. To I said, yeah, we can. let's come on, man. We're around the corner. We're in Reading. Let's go to London. Hit the Bond Street next cell. He wasn't interested yet at all. He was saying, no, I'm a big student now. And I go, <laughs> and I work really hard, write lots of notes. So, um, and that's why actually what Sheikh says is that what people say, Al-Mu'tad, Al-Mu'tad, um, this is the... Uh, Response to all the bold folks, huh? Sha'ar ras al mu'tad, meaning a normal, normal head. <laughs> Not yani, pack head. Yeah? So a normal head. So basically, the hair from a normal uh, hair, meaning a head with hair, non balding, is referring to the top part. Reality speaking, actually, the original definition is more accurate in the top of the forehead because there's obviously a part somewhere. All right, where it now doesn't become facing, but becomes more facing up. Okay, and anything which is up doesn't, doesn't have al muajaha. Muajaha means whatever is facing. So whatever point we decide that it's now equidistant or, or or the angle suddenly becomes more that way, then it becomes that way. So I guess you have this, and then I think that's acceptable. That's acceptable. Once it gets to that part, well, that's not really facing. That's the way they understand it. So the washing is happening from that top kind of part. And that normally, in a normative scenario, is referring to the uh, uh, hairline, all right, in, in a normal uh, scenario. And this, of course, is based upon the ayah in Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 6. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا كُنْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَغْسِلُوا وَجُوهَكُمْ O you who believe, this entire obligation, this entire discussion, Okay, it is all based up. This it is considered an obligation because of the verse that all oh, you who believe, when you stand for prayer, then wash your before you stand for prayer, wash your faces. Okay, and it's an oblig said in an obligatory uh, fashion. And what's important again to remind ourselves from our usul of our usul al fiqh 
فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ فَغْسِلُوا is a fi'l amr. It is a command. And the qa'idah in usul, the uh, principle in, in, in the principles of usul al-fiqh, anna al-amr yadullu ala al-wujubi illa idha sarafahu as-sarif. That the command indicates obligation unless something comes along and takes it away, takes it down from being an obligation. So for example, so how, what would something like that be? What would as-sarif be? What would be something that could knock something down from obligation? Common sense. Do shown what? Give me, give me a practical example. Easy, keep it easy, keep it simple. Remember, when you have a question, always answer the simple one. The muscle of the, the washing of the feet is too. Uh, no, no, no. Simple, keep it simple. If the ayah says wash your faces, and we say okay, that's an obligation because a command indicates obligation until something suggests elsewise. Uh, the Prophet might come and make wudu and he doesn't wash his face. That's it. That would be an example. I'm not, so I'm not saying a real example. I mean, I'm, not, uh, I'm just meaning this is one way. If the Prophet did wudu and didn't wash his face, and that happens in the presence of the fact that there's a verse which clearly says, you must wash your face, we immediately know that the must can only be a command to recommendation. And cannot be a command to obligation. Does that make sense? Alright, this is usul al-fiqh. Every single time we see a command, it indicates obligation until we find a, a, a qarina, meaning a supplementary evidence or a secondary evidence, which knocks it down, which suggests to us, well hold on, if that's the case, why didn't the Prophet then do that? Or why in the other ayah does the same actions of wudu are mentioned, but then the face is not mentioned? For example, yeah, so this is, this is how it would work in, in principle. Um, okay, good. Then, the uh, uh, Sheikh uh, Muhammad Muhtar al-Shanqiti, he says, there are a number of ahadith which emphasize this obligation. A number of ahadith which emphasize this obligation. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to wash his face when he used to make wudu, and there is not a single authentic hadith that shows that he ever left washing the face in wudu. Not a single authentic hadith in existence that shows the Prophet ﷺ leaving the face in washing the wudu. Okay? And he goes, for example, and we can take from them the most, uh, the most uh, authentic. We can take some from the most authentic of the hadith, the hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim, in the Sahihain, on the authority of Himran. Himran, the freed slave of Uthman, Amir Mu'mineen Uthman, Ibn Affan, radiallahu an. He said that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam asked for his wadu wadu. We covered that. Have we covered that? Tahur and tuhur. Who remembers the notes from first year? First, first year. What is tuhur and what is tahur? I'm sure we did that, and we did absolutely. When you have a dhamma on the first letter of the word and you have a fatha on the first letter of the word. Which word? Tuhur. Tuhur, good. Yep. Tuhur means to purify. What does 
Tahur with a ta with a fatha on the ta. Mean. Cleanse? Nope. Purifying? Nope. Wudu, what is wudu with a dhamma? Wudu. The action. Okay, good. It means the action, the action of the water which you use to do the act with. I'm sure we covered this in, seri uh, in uh, series one, in year one, that tahur, tahur refers to the water. In fact, subhanAllah, forget about uh, thingy one. We covered it two weeks ago. When I said, why is it that we were talking about, uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, we were talking about washing the, uh, we were talking about getting the, uh, uh, the manner of washing the face. The manner of washing the face with respect to the beard. Remember? I said there's three types. There's either getting the water to the skin. That's an obligation in? When is that an obligation? When you have a short beard. When you have a short beard, then the way that we wash the beard, when we wash the face, is that the water has to not only be washing the face, but washing all the way to the hair underneath the beard. And that's an obligation. We said the second scenario is? Second way with respect to the beard. No. When, exactly, when you have a thick beard. What did we say? What, what happens when you have a thick beard? Why? What, 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 what's, what's... Correct. So, that, so is it an obligation to wet the skin? No. We said it's an obligation only to wet the skin which has not got the beard and then the parts which has the beard, that, only, that, that, that skin underneath that beard does not need to be washed. But in that case, that's when you need to comb and have the water through. I said that was the second type of washing of the face with respect to a beard. Then I said a third case. My God, you bunch of packs. Unbelievable. These are beats, I swear. Oh my God. Don't revise the notes at all. Please tell me if someone online is saving our best. Go on. I know someone online will. Yes, they have. Guaranteed. 100%. Yes. Nope. I gave a third example and, the, and I used the third example of doing wudu or purifying yourself with respect to the uh, face with a beard is when is when you are using the tahur. My God, I feel like crying. And I used that word tahur. And I even said, do you know why he used the word tahur? And you said, no. And I said, okay, because this and this. And then it cuts me down, man. You ate that much on Christmas, gang. Is that what it is? Oh, my days. I know someone has saved me online, Abu Dhar. What guy says the third one is the one? Thank you. Yeah, that guy, that guy, yeah, is the only one who's got his brain open at the moment, okay? I said that the third scenario... Huh? Then he's holding it over saying, you fight with one. Yes, yes, he's right. He's right. I, I said the third, the third example we, we used is when a person is making tayammum. Okay? Right? 
Actually, the exact wording, if you go back to your notes, is basically how do you wash your face in the three types of manner when you're using tahur. That's how the question was, uh, was, was phrased. Tahur. And basically we said, well, two times it's going to be with water. The first time is going to be, you're going to wash your face both times. In the first case, your beard is going to be thin, you have to wash the skin underneath it. In the second case, your beard is going to be thick, so therefore you're not going to wash the skin underneath it, you're just going to run your fingers through. The third time, the tahur is not even going to be water, it's going to be dust. And that dust, in that case, you're just going to get the dust on your hands, and you're just going to wipe your face. It's not about going through the beard, not about going to the skin, it's not about washing, it's just the wipe of the face, and that's it. And I said that at the beginning, I said the sheikh, he used the word tahur to give a clue that the three things he's going to mention is not just going to be water. Oh my God. If sheikh Kehlan was here, you know what he'd say? He goes, where's the window so I can jump out? He'd start looking for the window, you know that, that's what he would do. So, he's here soon, by the way. Omar, what's the date? Thursday? Friday. Friday. No, I think Thursday. When's the kids coming back? Tomorrow, day after tomorrow. I think he comes in like three, four days after. Um, so, uh, so tahur, tahur means that which produces or does the tahur. And wudu is that which does the wudu. Okay? We actually covered this in the very early sessions of last year as well. So that's two times covered, and this is the third time covering it. Anyway, right. Uh, where are we, guys? I've got no idea. Uh-huh. So, uh, he, uh, Sayyidina Uthman said the Prophet asked for wudu to be brought to him, meaning his water for his wudu. And then, and then it was poured upon to his hands, and he washed them three times. And then he did madmada, wastanshaka, thalathan. And so he asked for it to be poured into his hand. And then he, and then he, and he, uh, he gargled and he spat it out. And then he put, rubbed it into his nose. And then uh, out of his nose, he did that three times. And then he washed his face. He washed his face. Um, and this this is one of, this is the most authentic hadith. This is called the hadith of Uthman, by the way. All right, the hadith of Uthman is is, is, is like known the hadith of Uthman. All right, uh, that's the uh, like when we say the hadith of Omar in Niyyah is in the Al bin Niyyat. Yeah. So in Wudu, it's called the hadith of Uthman. That's the one which establishes the details of Wudu in perfect uh, description. Uh, and then we have the hadith of Abdullah bin Zaid, which is also narrated in uh, the, the, the Sahihain, the two Sahih, and the hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib, which has been narrated in the Sunans, in the four Sunans, which also, all of them, they describe the, 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 the wudu, the ritual ablution of the Prophet ﷺ, and that he washed his face therein. Therefore, the scholars have agreed, may Allah have mercy upon all of them, that to wash the face is from the key obligation of the obligations of the wudu. Okay? And so if a person ever was to make wudu and he did not wash his face, then by consensus, ijma'al ulama, he has not done wudu, his wudu is invalid. The next statement is then, وَالْفَمُ وَالْأَنْفُ مِنْهُ That the mouth and the nose are from the face. Part of the face. 
Okay? And this is the position of the humbly madhab <coughs> official. And Shaykh Uthaymeen, alayhi rahmatullah, he says, yep, meaning from the face, and this is because they are... Uh, he goes... Because the face, because the mouth and the nose are where? But on the face. And because they're on the face, then they are to be counted as, as the face. This is what Sheikh Uthameen says. And so, so based upon this, then madmama and, and istinshaq, meaning the, the rinsing of the mouth and the, the cleaning of the nose, is from the, uh, from the, is from the uh, 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 obligations of wudu. He goes, but they're not separate aspects. They're not separate, okay? They are not. They're not separate from the uh, face itself. Um, and even if this is, um, he goes. Even though this is not um, absolutely, when you think of the nose, you don't think of the face but they're pretty much the same thing. It's like if you were to hit someone on the nose, you would say you hit him on the face. You understand what I'm trying to say? He goes, it's like the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, which has been narrated in Bukhari. He said that, أُمِرْتُ أَنْ أَسْجُدَ عَلَىٰ سَبْعَةِ عَاضُمْ عَلَىٰ جُبْهَا وَأَشَارَ بِيَدِهِ عَلَىٰ أَنْفِهِ Okay, he said that I was commanded to prostrate on the seven bones, you can say. All right? I was commanded to prostrate on the seven bones. That's referring to the knees and the toes and the hands and whatever. And and uh, and, uh, 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 and my forehead. And he pointed to his nose. Okay? So pointed to his nose and saying that, and my forehead. So it's talking about the forehead, meaning that's going to have to be prostrating. But pointing to his nose is meaning that it's like the same thing, even if it's not the same. Now... We're going to come back to this later, okay? Because Sheikh Uthaymeen himself, he has his own uh, 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 specific position. But I want to go into this issue in detail. Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti, he is now going to go um, into this. He says, listen, he says that the reason uh, that people say that this is from the face is because it's included in the boundaries of the face, okay? And, and of, of course... If you say that the nose and the mouth are part of the face, then you say that therefore to wash the nose and the mouth, it becomes an absolute obligation. And this position, that the washing of the nose and the mouth is an obligation, is only one of the statements of the scholars. Let's look at these statements of the scholars. He goes, the first position is that it is not from the nose, uh, sorry, it's not from the face, and therefore to wash the nose and the mouth is a sunnah. This is the position of the Hanafi school, the Maliki school, the Shafi'i school, and one narration from Imam Ahmed. So it's the position of the Hanafis, the Malikis, the Shafi'is, and one narration from Imam Ahmed. So that's a lot of people there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah? So the mass majority consider the washing of the mouth and the nose to be a sunnah. He goes a second, the second opinion is that they are they are part of the face okay but only the insides only the insides are considered from the face and this is the position of the the uh, zahiri the literalists 
No, the inside. You, 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 you'll see. You'll see in a minute. Uh, what, what, I, what I mean is that what I mean is that when you wash the face, you're, you're going to wash the nose anyway. Yeah. When we're talking about, sorry, let me start again. Just so that's a good good point that you you raised that question. When you wash the face, okay, you are going to wash the lips, aren't you? You can't wash the face without washing the lips because they're outside. When you wash the face, you're going to wash your nose or every aspect, aren't you? Because it's just there, isn't it? But when you wash the face, you're not going to wash inside your mouth, are you? And it's like, are you one of these people who open up? <laughs> yeah, Bobby Jay's not here, man. I've got to pick on someone, man. Okay. So, unless someone's opening his mouth when he's washing his face, then something different. Yeah, but normal insan, yeah, they don't do that, yeah? Okay? Normal person, when he's washing his face, he keeps his mouth closed, right? But I'm saying that it's quite possible to wash the face without washing the inside of the nose. It's a whole separate action, isn't it? And to wash inside the mouth is a whole separate action. So, that's the point. That's the point. In the position of Imam al-Hajjawi and the position of Hamli Madhab, because it's on the face, then inside is also included. Okay? Just as like, for example, when we go into a lot more detail, for example, as part of washing the face, it also means to clean the insides of the eyes. You know, to clean the dirt from inside the eyes as well. This is also considered to be part of the face. And so, not to the extent that you have to now start doing, you know, each time, yeah? Because that would get crazy. Do you understand what I'm saying? But you, this, is, this is what needs to be defined. Do you need to do like a full eye bath or whatever? Or is it whatever water hits it in a natural way? But this is definitely a physical action and so on. And that, 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 that would, that, that's included. But what about internally, inside the nose? So we said that the mass majority of the scholars, they consider that this is a sunnah. This is not part of washing the face. It's not included in the face. The Zahiriya said that actually the internal parts of the nose and the mouth are part of the face. Okay, which is basically what this... Uh, <laughs> The, the madhab here is saying, meaning it's the basic position here. And so therefore, and it's, an, and it's a narration from Imam Ahmed, this one. Okay, so um, that's the second opinion. Um, the third opinion is that only the inside of the nose is from the face. And the inside of the mouth is a whole separate part. So the inside of the mouth is not included. Okay. Or you can word it a different way. The only obligation is to clean the nose, not to gargle. That's another way of looking at it. And this is another riwayah, narration from Imam Ahmed. And it is also the position of some of the people of Ahl Hadith. Some of the Ahl Hadith. It's also the position of some of the people of Hadith. Um, and he says, in my opinion, and Allah knows best, he goes, in my opinion, and this is Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankrit's position, he says that, that the statement that they are not part of the face is the more accurate statement. And therefore I do not consider it an obligation to wash the mouth and the nose in wudu. I do not consider it to be an obligation. Okay, this is the position of Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti. And this is also my personal position as well. Okay? This is my, also my personal position as well. That it is not from the obligations. And as far as I remember, because we did many, many, many years ago, this is also the position of Sheikh Ihlan as well. Okay? But I can confirm that. But anyway, regardless, this is my position as well. 
Correct. It's a sunnah, therefore. So therefore, the washing of the inside of the nose, meaning istinshat, and the the madmada, which is the washing and the, the circulating and the gargling of the water inside the mouth, this is from sunan al-wudu and not from its obligations. Okay? And he goes, and Sheikh, Sheikh uh, Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti says, and my evidences for that are basically the number one. Because of the way, because of the way that the, the because of the indication, Dilalat al-Kitab, the Dilala means what, what, it, what, the, what the Quran indicates. What does the Quran indicate? Ya amanu ida kuntu wujuhakum. And so our indication from the ayah is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated the washing of the face and the face in linguistically speaking is that which faces. Okay? And that is what is outside of the face, not the internal aspects of the face. And the internal aspects of the face would, would, would be the inside of the nose and the mouth. And that doesn't face anything. That's basically inside. Is that clear? And you can see in quite honest fairness, that's a good argument. It's a linguistic argument, isn't it? And you could also see the other side of the argument that actually, you're right, it's not maybe facing outwards, but it's part of the part which is facing outwards. Therefore, it should be included. Which is, of course, what they're saying. What the Zahiriya and this other riwayah from Imam Ahmed. Okay? Um, and he goes that the Arabic language, the Arabic language, and, and when a person is speaking in Arabic, and then the nature of the, 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 the Arab is that when he is talking about the reality of the face, he's not talking about the inside of the nose and the inside of the mouth, but he's talking about the outside aspects of the face. And the Quran has been, uh, the Quran has been uh, revealed in this Arabic language. And, uh, and, it's, and, it, it, uh, and the Arabic language only explains that which is in the Quran. So he goes, the reality of the Arabic language is that when you say the face, you're not talking about the inside aspects. He goes, and also... Also, he goes, the Sunnah also emphasizes this point, such as the hadith of Rifa'a ibn Rafi'a, such as the hadith of Rifa'a ibn Rafi'a, who, who, on the authority of, uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, he said to the one who made mistakes in his prayer, we're talking about the hadith of now the person, you know the famous hadith, when the Prophet sallallahu was sitting in a masjid, and then he came into the masjid, and then he did two rak'ah, and then he went to the Prophet and he said, Salaam alaikum, Prophet alaikum salam, go back and pray because you've not prayed. And he kept making this mistake. He was basically rushing the prayer. He wasn't praying properly. The Prophet, in the same hadith, the Prophet sallallahu and this has been narrated by Imam al-Nasa'i and Tirmidhi, and it's an, author, it's, a, it's, a, it's an acceptable hadith, meaning it's a hasan hadith, insha'Allah. He, he said to this person, he said, make wudu like Allah has commanded you. Make wudu like Allah has commanded you. Tawadda kama amarakallah. Make wudu like Allah has commanded you. Meaning an indication that whatever Allah has said in the ayah, that's what it's about. And therefore, we're going back now to the issue of the face, wujuhakum, and it's not indicating this detailed aspects of internally into the nostrils and so on. Yani basically, Shaykh Uthameen is saying that, in other words, he said to him, read the book of Allah, and whatever it says in ayat al-ma'idah, in the ayah in surah al-ma'idah, then just do that, and khalas. Okay, so basically what this person did is that he returned him back to the obvious aspect of the ayah and the obvious aspects, aspects of the ayah refer to the outside, the, the apparent portions of the face. Okay, the second point 
is that the actions and the narrations that all mention the uh, continual, continual act of gargling and cleaning of the nose of the Prophet we will say that all of that, all the commands, you know the Prophet said, clean your nose. Prophet said, wash your mouth. Every single one of those commands are not indicating an obligation, but they're indicating meaning a recommendation. And the proof of that is the ayah. So the, reverse it the other way around. Remember what I said to you that when you, uh, when you command something, it is an obligation until something turns it away. So the commands to wash the nose, wash the mouth, they were obligations until we read the ayah and it says, وجوهكم, Wash your faces. So therefore the wash your faces is a proof actually that the commands to wash the, the nose and the mouth were only for a recommendation. They've been brought down. The actual original issue is to wash the obvious parts of the face. So therefore, as far as I am concerned, then that is the, uh, uh, that is the point. Uh, uh, that, that is the, 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 the evidence for why it is not an obligation. And that's why the majority of the scholars followed it. And he just finishes off and would finish with this as well. He said that what is the... Um, what if someone says, how comes the Prophet ﷺ never ever uh, uh, stopped doing the madmada and al-istinshaq? Yani the dawam, the continuous action of his. And uh, Sheikh uh, Muhammad Mukhtar Shankit, he says that the Prophet ﷺ and his continual uh, uh, doing of these sunan is from the bab of ta'lim. This is from his way of educating the people. Not from his, not from the manner of obligating upon people. So him doing it. So there's two types of Prophet doing two things all the time. Okay, one is to obligate something upon the people and to indicate its obligation. Two, to make to teach people that it should be done all the time. There's a difference between the two. Okay, for example, the Prophet as far as we know, he never left the two rakah of. Fajr. But no one has said it's an obligation. Or the majority of the scholars don't say it's an obligation. Like, like, like this example. He goes, he goes, he goes, I'll give you, I'll give you an easy example. Do you not see, Sheikh Mahmoud Shakriti says, do you not see that he wasallam through when you take all of the narrations into account, you do not see that he ever made wudu he never made wudu except that he would wash his hands before he would make wudu. He would wash his hands before he would make wudu. Every single narration which you collect will show you that the Prophet ﷺ washed his hands before he made wudu. As for, the, as for the, those people who say that it's obligatory to wash the nose and the mouth, they, those same people, they accept... They submit to the fact that that washing of the hands is a sunnah. It's a sunnah. Okay? For the one who, what? Not nearly. You got the right subject, but the wrong ruling. For the person who wakes up and he doesn't know where his hand is, it's a... Wajib. We talked about that, isn't it? That is an obligation for the one who wakes up thinking. But the one who doesn't wake up from such a sleep, 
It's a sunnah. Yes? So the one who doesn't wake up from a sleep, which is, he doesn't know what's going on, it's such a deep sleep at night time, blah, blah, blah. That person, right? Is, it, is there any of these scholars that said it's an obligation to wash the hands? The answer is no. So all of them, despite the Prophet ﷺ doing it every single time, they, none of them said it's an obligation upon that person. So, so and in, in, instead, they said it is recommendation and not obligation. Therefore, they themselves are a proof that al-mudawama, that continuity, does not always indicate obligation. Sometimes it means obligation, sometimes it's ghair wajib. So it's not possible to say that... Uh, uh, it's not, it's, not, it's not possible to basically say that just because something is continuous, it becomes obligatory. And this is an example in the wudu. And that's basically what we're talking about. That's our conclusion. Okay, let's take a couple of questions. Yeah. And online if there's some questions. Yeah. We're going to come to that. Different, just, just... No. So on that last point then, is it not the case that one of the ways we should differentiate between obligation sunnah was to leave the act good yes that is the most easiest and most common way of us indicating the difference between the obligation and sunnah his leaving of an obligatory act which basically makes it clear like taraweeh like fasting uh, during the rest of the year like the tahajjud for example in certain times and cases well that's not a good example actually take that way um yeah, but yeah, you're right. Basically, that is the basic principle. The Prophet ﷺ leaving an action indicates that it's a sunnah. But not exclusively. But not exclusively. And this is the point. And he says that actually no scholar differs over this. And he gave the example. He goes, even the people who are saying that you have to wash the nose, okay, because the Prophet ﷺ did it all the time. Well, actually, if you ask them, what about washing the hands? Is that obligatory as well? Well, they themselves will say to you, no, it's not. Even though he always used to do it. They will only say, yes, it's obligatory if he wakes up from the night time. Okay, what if he doesn't wake up from the night time? What if he just comes in from work? Does he have to wash his hands before he makes wudu, even though the Prophet ﷺ always just washes his hands? They say, no, it's only a sunnah. So therefore, it's clear that sometimes continuity does not always indicate obligation. Any questions? Yeah. Um, I think just a general question. A sister who has makeup on, did wudu, and the makeup still on. Yes. A question supplier, you know, pen mark or paint. Sure. So, so um, this yeah, we'll be covering this more in detail later. But basically, the washing of the face, as we mentioned, uh, and therefore the washing of anything, whenever the word ghassal is included, it means the water has to flow, touch and flow on the skin. And the skin itself means the skin. And if there is anything on the skin which is preventing that water touching the skin, then the wudu is incomplete. So if there is makeup which is preventing that because it's water, whatever, whatever they call it, I don't know, waterproof or something? Huh? Waterproof? Then that's going to be unacceptable. The water has to go to the skin. There's, there's two different types of things on the skin. There's that which is completely hydrophobic and it doesn't allow the water to uh, touch it. And there's that which is hydrophilic. And there are, it's not makeup and dyes and so on and paint, whatever. It's not all hydrophobic, like henna. Okay? Henna? <coughs> Mendi. Okay, let's stick to the pack word. It's much easier, yeah? Mendi, yeah? That stuff is crazy, right? I'm not talking about the brown one. I'm talking about we take the brown bakwas off. I'm talking about the, the orange stuff underneath, yeah? So that, okay, it dyes the skin. It doesn't 
actually go on top of the skin. So the skin itself has taken that color. And so when you put water on it, it's actually upon the skin. Whereas all this kind of, you know, Maybelline and... <laughs> and what? And hold on. What's the one that I'm worth it? Because I know I'm worth it. I, I, uh, L'Oreal, L'Oreal. L'Oreal? Oh, yeah. Is that one I'm worth it? I don't know, yeah? <laughs> I know, man. Because I'm definitely worth it. What is it? What's that guy, the, the actor guy? I think it's L'Oreal, man. Anyway, the point is, is that stuff, I don't know whether they do one which is like henna. So anything, and that applies to paint, that applies to uh, some kind of lacquer, whatever. Yeah? Question? Yeah? And not the mouth. And then in another narration, and if you remember from the early, early lessons of, of uh, LP, we explained basically the, the manhaj, the methodology of the Hanbali madhab. One of his difficulties is that there's often two or three narrations that come from Imam Ahmed. And the students of Imam Ahmed and the people who formulated the madhab, they often differed amongst themselves what is going to be the official position of Imam Ahmed and then therefore the official position of the Hanbali madhab. And so normally we look to people like Ibn Qudama and, and so on to actually say that this is a position of the madhab. In any case, this, this uh, uh, matan, Zad al-Mustaqni' Okay, is considered to be a quite an authoritative representation of the madhab, and even though there are many Hanbalis that don't accept that, but according to Imam Hajjawi, a number of the Hanbali scholars, this is the strongest position from the three riwayat that the inside of the nose and the inside of the mouth is part of the face, therefore, you do need to wash them, like the Zahiri position. Okay, but as we said, that there are a number of different versions of that the inside of the nose, not the mouth, uh, neither inside of the nose or the mouth, or both inside of the nose and the mouth. So this is the, these are the, the variations. Okay, folks? We're good with that? All right, well, yep. Um, what time is match a day? That's all I care about. <laughs> Just tell me what time it is. It's half nine. What, half, day? half nine? Half oh, nine? Yeah, give us a heart attack, man. Four past ten. Four past ten. All right, okay. Um, well, then the rest of it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My sister's asking, Ghusl, uh, we mentioned uh, during Hajj or when the water, yep. use a bottle or yep. a mask. Yep. You, you, at the same time, you're saying it needs to trickle down. That's right. It will. It, it, Absolutely, yeah. Don't think that just because we use little bits of water, it won't trickle. They're not Jamiat al hadith That's what they're not. <laughs> Ahl hadith are not Jamiat al hadith from Pakistan. That's fine. That's fine. She needs to go back to the early lessons, tell her, give her the reference to Sheikh Kehlan's uh, one or two sessions which he dedicated to the manhaj of Ahlul Hadith. Remember, we divided the people, the scholars, into the people of fiqh, Ahlul Fiqh, the Fuqaha, and Ahlul Hadith. They generally differ in their methodology, that's all. They're very much dependent upon Hadith as a primary source of legislation and understanding, whereas the other scholars are using more principles. And they are happy to put the Hadith second best if it doesn't agree with the established principle. That's a, that's a book, that's a PhD that is that question, who are Ahlul Hadith. Anyway, yep. When washing the hands before wudu, does one say Bismillah before washing the hands? That's coming later. Okay, we'll call it there. Oh yeah, one more question, yeah. Shaykh, you mentioned at the beginning, you said about um, students of knowledge, they should, be, they should bear in mind that different scholars have three 
three numbers for something, four numbers for something. Different criteria, different methodologies, different systems. So I assume that the scholars themselves accept that as well. There's a difference. Absolutely. But then, is this only for fit? Because I, I remember there's a big hoo-ha, for example, when it comes to Aqid, and they say, Aqid al-Hakimiyah. The irony is, is that I gave that exact example in Fiqh of Salah. The, it's not about fiqh. It's about anything. It's about education. But then even like, say, well, according to certain groups, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, but so, um, let's say, Sheikh Salih Fawzan said, isolated hakimiyah is transcendentary ignoramus. Uh, it's what? It's what? Ignoramus. Oh, an ignoramus. So, okay. No, no. No, no. What, 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 one second. No, no. You split it to four categories. It's the same of the ignorant straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me, let me explain what's, what's going on. First of all, my statement was what? That dividing numbers, parameters, whatever, is not about fiqh, it's about education. Meaning that the scholars who did that, okay, who did and classified anything into any category and named it anything in any subject, only did that for what reason? Teaching. Teaching. For the ease of the student to understand. Actually, for Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan, if we were going to be, hafizahullah, uh, if we were going to be, you know, rude and so on, then actually what's ignoramus, what's actually ignorant is to divide Tawheed into anything straight off. Do you understand? The reason that we divide it into three, Al-Uluhiyya, Al-Rububiyya, as well as the just makes it easy for people to understand. Do you think the companions were told this is Al-Rububiyya? Do you understand? So, so actually, the, 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 the point is, is that when we, uh, what they are saying that the person's an ignoramus is that we have been teaching in our schools, in our systems, these three types to make it easier. And now we've got a group of troublemakers who are trying to create a fourth category to try and confuse people and so on. In actual fact, and that, that's what he's criticizing. They'll be saying, actually, if you really study Rububiyyah or Uluhiyyah properly, it comes under it anyway. No one is denying the hukum of Allah and its uh, exclusivity when it comes to politics and rule and so on and so forth. No need for a separate category. Rather, there's ulterior motives. And often there are when it comes to the issues of politics and aqidah. But I wanted to bring it back. It's a non-argument. It's no problem at all if you believe in four categories, five or three. It's about how you're dividing them. There's, for example, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, he said there's two categories of, 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 of tawheed. You know, the one referring to the actions, one referring to this. It depends on what kind of uh, uh, manner you're dividing. Yeah, the context. So this is all. This is important for the student knowledge. You can see, you see, the student knowledge will look at that and you'll know, you know, whereas the one who doesn't know, he'll say, oh my God, it's a fourth category. And he'll start losing his, you know, mind over a fourth category. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Because he doesn't understand what does a fourth category even mean. So this is an important lesson, actually, for all uh, students of knowledge. Uh, so, Jazakumullah khair. Um, I'd like you guys just to stay seated for a few minutes. I just want to ask you something. Uh, Barakallahu feek. Inshallah, next week, same time. Again, everyone online, please uh, visit the uh, Prophetic Guidance webpage. And the last testament, I'd like you to get that news out and do me a favor and spread it amongst your contacts. And let's get that going viral as much as possible. I think it's a wonderful uh, uh, a wonderful project, especially to, to send to non-Muslims. And also, actually, subhanAllah, we recorded it for non-Muslims. We, you know, we, we did it. We, we, the, the, the crowd was all the MPs and councillors and yeah, were all the non-Muslim neighbours and everyone. They packed out the hall. And when we did it, okay, they loved it. SubhanAllah, they loved it. Okay, there were many people who were there on that day. And, uh, but when we then recorded it and we produced it, we produced it as an audio, we found that the Muslims liked it more. And it is a buzz, mashallah. The recitation is awesome. And it's the only authentic, actual, released recitation of Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar that there is. So many people were, were, and he's reciting in the Rawaya or the Qara'a of Duri. 
and that's also very nice as well. So make sure you spread that. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Shadu wa la ilaha ilaha wa astaghfiruk. Allahumma wa atubu ilaikum. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Okay, so um, what I need from you guys, if you don't mind, I know it's late. Uh,